The Committee on Ministerial Care of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is pleased to present this webinar, Crazy Busy Pastoral Ministry, an interview with Kevin DeYoung. Our host today is John Fickert, the OPC's Director of Ministerial Care. Hello, I'm John Fickert, and on behalf of the Committee on Ministerial Care, welcome to a webinar for pastors who are busy, perhaps even too busy. My guest today is Kevin DeYoung, Senior Pastor of Christ Covenant Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. In addition to his pastoral ministry, Kevin is a prolific author, a frequent conference speaker, a professor at RTS Charlotte, and he and his wife, Tricia, are parents to nine children. In other words, he knows what it's like to be busy. About a decade ago, Kevin wrote a book, widely acclaimed, called Crazy Busy. And if anything, this topic is even more relevant today. Welcome, Kevin. Good to be here. Well, it's good to have, good to have you. you here. Yes, thank you. So you wrote a book, Crazy Busy, about 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything you would change about what you wrote? You know, I, I remember writing and somewhere, maybe the very you know, beginning, say, I, I, I write this book as one needing to learn these lessons. I write this book because I, I am crazy busy. And uh, so I still feel that way in life. So I, I don't think there's anything... Uh, there's certainly no theological point or nothing that I would want to retract. If anything, uh, perhaps just to just to underscore that for a lot of us, especially when you have younger kids and sometimes then you have older parents and you you're going to be busy. Mm. And so I don't want the the book to feel for someone like the the antidote to crazy busy is to being inert. Or inactive, hmm. or for Christians to think, "Wow, my life does feel really busy all the time. I must be doing something wrong." So that's not the purpose of the book, and I hope I stress that enough. But there are some some wrong ways to be busy, some unhealthy ways to be busy. But if we love each other, we love the body of Christ, we love serving. We're bound to have lots of things going on in life. So I hope no one takes away that message, and, and I hope that's not in there, but I just want to underscore busyness itself is not necessarily a problem. It's what it looks like, how it shapes, and how it might be shaping your own heart. I think that's helpful, and I remember that tone from the book, and that's what actually led us to pick this book and say, hey, oh. Kevin, would you talk about this book for pastors? Yeah. Uh, because it seems that pastors are uniquely in a place of always being busy. Mm -hmm. I'm even going to help you out with Three dangers that pastor or that you mentioned from your book. Yeah. And let's talk about how you see those dangers for pastors. Sure. So the three dangers being one, busyness can ruin joy. Mm. Two, busyness can rob your heart. Three, busyness can cover up the rot in your heart. So as you think about those three dangers for pastors, what would you say? I, I do see this in a lot of pastors. You know, pastors, we get into ministry because we we feel called, we feel passionate. You get into ministry really eager. You have lots of ideals. And some of those ideals we have to realize are not realistic, but we hold on to other, others of them. And I think what happens is it doesn't happen all at once, but you get hurt from some people. Mm. You start to feel self-protective. You're not maintaining your own sort of rhythms in life. And what you entered into 
with great enthusiasm to help save sinners and be a good preacher and all the things that you want to do, you lose your, your joy in it. And it feels like every day is how to survive, mm. how to manage people's expectations. I think that's a really hard one for pastors. I know some pastors are, are bullies and are big jerks and, but a lot, a lot of pastors, probably most of the pastors I know, you know, struggle with some kind of people pleasing and some desire to, am I doing a good job? Do you, do you like me? How are things going? Because it's hard to know as a pastor. And I think with that comes a sense in which we are living and ministering for other people's expectations. And that's mm. bound to ruin some of our joy. So how would you combat that? What would you say? Because it seems inevitable. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be survival. There's going to be time management. So what does a minister do to say, this is what I'm doing to preserve joy? I think there's a couple of things. Uh, one is to maintain these concentric circles. So if you have your relationship with the Lord and then mm. you're probably married, your relationship with with your wife and kids and then your, your elders or staff. Mm-hmm. I think what ministry can direct us to, especially in the Internet age, is to think that the farther out circles are most important. Mm. And, you know, one of those other points was, you know, mask the rot in your own life. Yes, so, yes. You know, the sort of man who's, who's drawn to conflict, uh, maybe it's, you know, a good necessary conflict. But I often say to folks and to my own heart, Look, I can deal with some issues among my church if my if things with my my session is good, and I can deal with some problems in my session if uh, my family's good, and I can deal with some problems in my family, my wife, and and then to my relationship with the Lord. And I think so often ministry and just life pushes us to those outer rings. Mm-hmm. And you're devoting all of this time. You know, you need you need this in here, and that's where, you know, often with say our leaders, you know, a lot of pastors probably have, you know, maybe one or two staff members. Some of them are doing it all by themselves. Those men are my heroes. But whatever your your leadership nucleus looks like, very practically, you need to you need to invest and put in your schedule lots of wasted time. And I put that in parentheses. It's obviously not wasted time, but it feels like wasted time. Time with your kids, time with your wife feels like, what am I getting done sometimes? Time with your elders. But it's that relational collateral that you build up over months and years. That's why I'm a big advocate of, you know, we have our executive committee meeting meets in someone's home and we have a meal together. Hmm. So hospitality. Yeah, hospitality. What, What are we, let's just... We take the first half hour, just I'll have a question to throw out. And we talk about life. You know, I'm a big believer in staff retreats or elder retreats. Just those settings where you 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 think you didn't accomplish much, but you actually accomplished a lot. Just the relationship building that then when you have the stresses of ministry pushing in from the outside, if you have these inner things... Yeah, so what? Somebody hates your guts online. I got an ever-growing hate Kevin DeYoung fan club out there. And it's not that you welcome that. But if the the circles in here are healthy, and that's where a lot of us have not tended well to those inner circles, or we've let ministry success out here masquerade what's really 
some failures closer to home. So some of what you were sharing is as we look at that outer circle, I notice my own experience in pastoral ministry, sometimes it's just a little bit easier to make a call or do an email than to do the work of being in a relationship. Right, right. Yeah, and especially it's it's never been easier and, and harder. I mean, so it's never been easier as pastors to keep some tabs on our people. You send an email, sure. you can send a text, and I think, wow, what did you know, Richard Baxter is driving, not driving his horse, you know, all these these people he had to visit, and we can just send a quick text. But with that comes not only people's exceeding expectations. Mm. Well, why didn't you come and see me? Why didn't you come and visit? And also, to your point, our own sense of uncomfortability of what might be easier or harder to do. And so I think in pastoral ministry, and look, there are people way better as pastors than I am with mm. shepherding, counseling. We're just, none of us are, are rock stars at all of it. Right. But I think we need to, you know, don't, don't do a text if it needs to be a phone call. Don't do a phone call if it needs to be a, a personal visit. And one of the just rules of thumb that I find younger ministers sometimes, and I probably made the mistake when I was a younger minister, uh, but I'm reminding myself and telling folks, say, put good things in writing, say hard things in person. Ooh, I like that. Meaning, uh, and of course you can say good things in person too, but sometimes I find pastors... Because we're so word-oriented and we write and we do sermons, you know, they're trying to work out really heavy conflict and issues with an email. And they're trying to say hard things. Don't say hard things where somebody can't read the tone, where you can't follow up, where they can go and take this email or this text and then ruminate on it for a week before you see them again. Whenever you can, avoid it. Don't give people the hard things in writing where it's permanent for them. Hmm. You know, give people the encouragement so they can file that away and they can ruminate on this, this thing that you said. So I, I think sometimes because conflict is hard for almost all of us, uh, we prefer to do it from a safe distance where really the harder the conflict, actually the closer the real physical proximity needs to be. That makes sense. And ultimately some of those electronic forms don't resolve the conflict anyway. So you remain busy because it's not resolved. That's right. And, and I've made that mistake. You know, you, you pound out a great email. You take two hours. You do this whole email. And it just, now you got to go clean that up. And I've learned early in ministry, I'd have to jump in sometimes with my eager elders mm. who are looking to clean up stuff on email or two elders aren't getting along with something. Now, if I see that, I'll jump in and I'll send a message to everyone. Hey, guys. I'll make sure this is on our agenda at our next session meeting and we'll talk about it. And I just try to cut it off at the pass. This, we are not going to hash this out and first of all, waste everyone time and probably turn the temperature up a lot hotter than it needs to go. And you know what it's like in pastoral ministry. Often a week later, it's like, yeah, it, well, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> yes. It's so invaluable to be in person for those things. So invaluable. But it takes time in its yeah. own way. Yeah. So that's another part about being busy is like, I have to make time for this person right? or this difficult conversation or this session discussion. And that's just part of it. Yeah. It, it all takes a lot of time. And because generally we want to serve, 
we we hopefully are you know gravitate toward people and helping people with their with their problems. Uh, a lot of pastors, I think, we struggle with saying no or not being the person who's available all the time. Now, I I, I admit I'm really spoiled in that I have church staff. I have you know I have the ability that. We have enough people we can specialize in some ways. And so I'm, it's kind of unique. But I do think I've, I've seen good men, godlier men than me, but, but they burn themselves out because they set the expectation in their church and they've set the expectation in their own heart. I'm really the only one who can counsel this person. I'm the only one who can be there at their special event. I'm the only one who can do the funeral, can do the wedding. And here's where pastors, we need to be obvious. Sometimes the fault is on the people who have unrealistic expectations. Sometimes, though, it comes back to us, and we're not willing to let go of some of that stuff. We're not willing to to disappoint. Or I've seen pastors, you know, i got to bring on an associate. He's, he's going to help, you know, with the load. Sounds good. But then that man doesn't want to let go. To, to have a staff, you have to be okay that you are not going to be the most special person spiritually in everyone's life. Mm. Now, it sounds kind of silly when you put it that way, but it's just human spirit. You know, there's times I have to tell myself, oh, man, I, I didn't even get invited to that wedding. <laughs> I thought I was a good pastor. And I have to remember, no. They're connecting to that pastor, and that's great, and I have my Saturday free. <laughs> that's good. You mentioned in your book, just to pull it back to your book, uh, the idea of replaceability and the myth that we're not replaceable. Right. You talked about going on a sabbatical and how well things went while you were on sabbatical. <laughs> I know. This is, this is everyone's hope and nightmare. Of uh, yet, you know, Jason Halopoulos, some of you, you know, read Jason's books. He's a, a so much better pastor than I am in many ways, and it was a joy to have him succeed me at University Reformed Church. Sure. But yeah, there would be some of those times where I'd go away for a whole summer and I'd come back, and the first Sunday back, it's just, Pastor Jason was so great. We loved <laughs> listening to him. His sermons were amazing. You yes. should go away again. And they really, they're just meaning to be encouraging to say, Pastor, it was okay, but you have to deal with your own sinful heart that's, well, I've, can it maybe fall apart a little bit? Like, not not really bad. People are still here, but just a little bit of coming in on the white horse to rescue things. Yes. Uh, again, it's easier in some churches than others, but I think churches are really short-sighted when they don't give their pastors some study leave, a sabbatical, some breaks. I mean, the guys who who still have two weeks of vacation or something, I mean, God bless you. I mean, really, because I, I don't know how you, you do that. And, you know, it costs the church almost nothing. Maybe it costs some money to get a pulpit supply if you've got to sure. pay for somebody. But in the long run, you're saving so much time, so much heartache hmm. to give your pastor a real, I mean, not you get a weekend off and another weekend off. You need a few weeks. You know what it's like. It's, you know, it's not till the first week on your break, you end up getting a, a cold because... <laughs> You've been pushing this hard, and then your body lets down, and you're sick. And then the second week, you feel like you're decompressing. And then it's really after that you get a chance to read and rejuvenate. My my, my congregations have always said, other than Easter and Christmas, our favorite Sunday is when you come back from your sabbatical because it's really? your best sermon. Wow. 
What yeah. interesting feedback. Right? Yeah, they say it's your best sermon. We know. Don't miss when Pastor comes back. Wow. Uh, so that tells me that I was probably getting a little tired and mm. more worn down than I than I thought. That people can tell oh, there's a freshness, there's right. a, there's an energy, and we need to advocate for that. That's good. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're not always the best judge of how stressed out we are no. or how much pressure we're under. No. Other people can Ask sometimes our wives tell better or our than kids. exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. So I have a question for you. Uh, for many OP ministers watching this, they're in a much smaller church, yeah. and they may only be the full only full time right. employee at the church. So how would you transpose, like, what would you say specifically to pastors of smaller churches Yeah, about busyness and how to manage, because you're the guy. Yeah, You might be right. the one changing the light bulbs and <laughs> I know. shoveling the walk by the door. Yeah, it, it is really, I, I hope this doesn't sound patronizing, I really mean it. Solo pastors are my heroes. Mm. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think in a whole lot of ways they do what... I don't know that I could do. And hmm. the guys out there, and there's a lot of them. It's really the norm, actually, in most sure. churches. Maybe there's a part-time music guy or youth guy or secretary or something, but to know that your labors are not in vain. So, so what do we do when we don't have the same kind of team staff? Exactly. I'll say a couple of things. One, make sure your elders are actually serving as elders. It happens in a lot of churches. It's really a board or it's a... You know, just a sounding board for the pastor or the sure. people, the personnel committee. So, in all the churches I've been in, uh, you know, about priority number one has been to teach the elders. You know, and get some of the good resources out there. There's lots of great books. What do elders actually do? They're shepherds. They're shepherds along with us, so that the people in the congregation have an expectation. And it's not about just getting out of my job. It's to know. If you want the sort of care that you expect, you even in a smaller church, you really can't ex- expect it from one person. And the elders are called to be shepherds. That God did not set we're Presbyterians. God did not set up a ministry with just one person doing it all. He's he in his wisdom is a plurality of elders. So that's one thing. Are your elders actually eldering people? Are they doing some visitation? Are they doing shepherding? Two is sort of what I said earlier, getting getting to know our own hearts mm. and being okay with not always being the the special person in everyone's life. Sometimes I think of mm. this way, and uh, I love chaplains. You know, my father-in-law was with the Lord was a Navy chaplain, so I love what sure. chaplains do. So I'm not using this in a pejorative way, but I think sometimes solo pastors, if we're not careful, we have a chaplaincy mindset, meaning I sort of attend to you at the various moments of right. your life and churches here to you know, baptize you, marry you, bury you. And that's, that's a lot of the bread and butter of ministry. But that's not all. There's also discipling people. There's training people. And of course, good chaplains do those things too. Mm-hmm. But the point is, we can just fall into a maintenance kind of mindset that I I come in and provide you with spiritual goods and services where, well, they need other people. No one person can do all of that. And there's lots of studies on this. The reason, not, not the reason, that's not fair, a reason sometimes why churches 
why are so many churches 80 to 100 or maybe 150, 175? Because that's reasonably what one man, maybe 250 if he's really gifted, sure. can handle. Sure. Now, that may be okay. You, you as a pastor may say, that's absolutely the, the sort of ministry I want. I want to be mm. in everyone's life for every birthday. I'm going to go to every high school graduation. Well, then you just need to be honest with you're going to have a certain size church if you have that ministry. Sure. And bigger is not better and smaller is, is not better. It's just different. So I think sometimes we have an expectation we put on ourselves mm-hmm. and then we reinforce it with other people that feeds into that busyness. So, you know, if we think we have to lead every session meeting, we think we have to do every funeral and wedding, and it may take some time to train our congregation not to have that expectation, but we have to deal with our own self-expectations first. Sure. Maybe one way to take what you're saying would be, if you're Presbyterian, then push into your Presbyterianism. That's right, yes. Be sure, the, yes. be sure the session is engaged, that you're with a ministry, a plurality of elders, and you're not, in effect, a congregational minister. That's and absolutely everybody's true. a consumer slash congregant. Yeah. And you're the server, the server of everybody. Yeah. You do everything for right. everybody. And that's what I mean, you know, a, a chaplain. I don't mean as a negative thing, but the person who just, who is here to provide, as we live our happy American lives or wherever you are. Right. Uh, and then uh, it's great. I have a spiritual person who helps to do the rituals for me and be there when something hard happens and, and prays. And then just the, the, the last thing kind of goes with everything we're talking about. Mm-hmm. One of the things in the book, and I, I read this in Peter Drucker, the business guru, he, he talks about not just having priorities, but posteriorities. So a posterior, prior, your head, posterior, you know, you're behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every church, every minister likes to talk about priorities. But he says, if you have 10 priorities, you don't have priorities. Yeah, how can you do them all? Yeah, he says, you don't really have priorities until you have posteriorities. Meaning, here are, what are the things, pastor, on your list you're not going to do? The things you're saying no to. That's right. If you what say, are your limits? my priorities are to pray every day and prepare for my sermon and, and disciple my leaders. Great priorities. But if you're doing everything, so a concrete example at, uh, you know, Earlier in in my ministry, and this is when the church was, I mean, it, I don't know, it was three hundred people or something. Sure. And I was doing a lot of the the pastoral, most of the the premarital counseling. And my elders said, "We are not allowing you to do premarital counseling." Now, I, I don't think I was ruining people. I hope <laughs> that uh, wasn't the reason. <laughs> I hope not. And they didn't use the word posteriority, but that's what it was. They said, "You know what?" There's these five other couples here. They could be trained. They actually they love to do this. They would feel really excited to be able to do this. We're but we know it's hard for you, Kevin. You're going to say yes to this nice couple. So we're telling you, you cannot do this any longer. And whatever those examples are like in in your local church, I think it's really helpful in in conversation with the session to give you some of those posteriorities. That's good. So we're talking about limits, now I'm going to flip it on you. Yeah. Because there's the theme of being a good churchman. So your role at Presbytery, whatever Presbytery committees you get put on, uh, responsibilities for General Assembly. So how would you integrate those extra Presbyterian parts into a pastoral ministry? (laughs) 
The look on your face tells me <laughs> that's not an easy question. No, it's not. Well, and I, I, I just came here driving from Atlanta at a, at a PCA meeting for a committee that I'm on. So I, I try to do my part. Yeah, there's, there's not an easy answer. Uh, what I tell some of our guys here is tr- try to go to the meetings and maybe do one other thing. Okay. So pick one. <laughs> pick one. Yeah. Uh, go to the meetings when, and hopefully you can go to most of them. But even with our general assembly, OPC is every year. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, some have a delegated assembly. Ours are everyone can come. Right, right. right? And the PCA. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, I say, can you guys try to go two out of three years? Now, most of them want to go. You know, make sure. it to the presbytery meetings. But then maybe one committee, maybe one thing with the, with the General Assembly, I love, and there, there are going to be guys who are just drawn to it. Mm-hmm. That's and, true, and more gifted for and it. And more gifted at it. You know, the people that the proverbial sleep with the BCO under their <laughs> their pillow, and we need a few of those guys. But here's the thing, you only need a few. You only need a few of them. And uh, most of us, be faithful, raise your hand to serve on a committee, and, you know, the best way to be the best presbyter is to make sure you're being a faithful presbyter in your church. Mm, that's good. Yeah. So again, just trying to find balance, appropriate limits, and so forth. I want to circle back around. Um, earlier on, we were talking about email, yeah, communication, technology. Any thoughts on how to find balance as a pastor for how much to be engaged in? the world out there right. and, and blogs and this and that, having a social media presence. Maybe that's an evangelistic tool. Maybe it's not. So what are your thoughts about that? So you're talking to the guy who's who said, <laughs> you know, 10, 15 years ago, bloggers are dumb. I'll never blog. Started a blog. Twitter is a complete waste of time. I got on Twitter. Uh, I've certainly, you know, am... W- pretty well versed in what's going on out there and I've weighed sure. into various controversies but I would say again I, personally I'm trying to pull back from some I'm on I'm on Twitter less than than I used to be I think there's only we it's kind of like the people who are locked into the BCO praise God for them we only really need a few of them mm. uh so for example Al Mohler does the briefing Right. Every day, and he's really good at it, and he's really gifted to process things in 25 minutes. And you know, uh, world, you know, has their daily program. It's it's good to have a few things like that. We probably don't need too many more than that. And I would say to any pastor who's feeling like I don't know if I'm being faithful out there because I just don't know what the controversy du jour is, and I'm just not weighing in enough. I would want to relieve that man of any pangs of conscience. Really, I've yet to meet a pastor whose ministry is grossly suffering because he's not attuned to internet controversies. And I've, I know of plenty who have been distracted by those things. I would even say more than that, beyond distracted, I've seen some ministries that are impaired right. because they've said things. That's right. And you can't take them back and you've compromised your ability to preach the gospel in essence yeah. because people won't listen to you anymore. That's right. And you, you lost your cool or you said something that was private that wasn't private. And yeah, I mean, I, I have a hard time thinking that many of us 
will regret, ah, I should have been more engaged in social media, more engaged online. Not one of those deathbed things like if only I spent not. more time. Probably yes. not. Uh, but some, you know, I, I hope I hope I'm not wasting my time when I do some of that. But uh, it, it, it is a temptation for me, for lots of guys, and especially you know, PCA, OPC. You know, these are really well trained pastors who right. have thoughts on things, opinions on things. So it's not that you can't share those in the appropriate context, but relieve the burden of thinking you need to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives. This isn't fair to put on you, but would you say an age limit? Like if you're under 40, don't even think about it or anything like that? Or is that too <laughs> I don't know. Because I, 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 to... I did a lot of it before I turned 40. Uh, and you could say at the upper age limit, you know. Sure. Once you get to this age, yeah, you, just, you should stop talking. And, yeah, but and... I would, your, your question's really wise because, you know, you can't put an, an absolute age limit on it. But you do want to caution younger guys who, who tend to be, I don't know, but tend to be more intemperate. We often get a little mellower mm-hmm. and don't yet realize that the Internet, uh, it's like diamonds, they're forever. Yes. <laughs> and it's just, it's just there. And, and guys who thought they were keyboard warriors who have really compromised their ministry, and even just on very pragmatic you know, churches that may never call them because of something they wrote eight years ago when they were really fuming mad one night. So, yeah, the younger you are, the more prone. It's almost like this. The more you feel itching to write something, the less you probably should. That's helpful. Yeah. And I would also say, if you're a younger minister, another reason to think about that as we're talking about crazy busy. Yeah. Because you've got enough things That's to right. be worrying about. Just figuring out your rhythms. Where should I balance? What should I Absolutely. limit? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the circles. You you want to do this out here with either your denomination or the reformed world out here to police those borders, and your marriage isn't as good as it could be, or your elders need a, a lunch with you. Yeah. Figure out the core first. Right. As you were building right. it before. Right. Start, inner, work out. Yeah. That's helpful. All right. So let's talk about suffering a little bit, because that was in your book. Yeah. And suffering can cover, I'm sorry, busyness can cover suffering. At other times, it's, the pastor almost has like a bargain, you know, like, I worked really hard. I did all these things. Right. Now why am I suffering? I thought I was busy. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? So uh, everyone's going to suffer, and pastors, on the one hand, don't want, we don't want to act like we suffer more than other people. I have, sure. you know, I have a great job. <laughs> I sure. know lots of people in my church think, I wouldn't want your job. And my, and my suffering has been very garden variety. So it's not that pastors suffer more, but perhaps in a unique way. Mm-hmm. So I think pastors have a unique kind of suffering, and it's uniquely dangerous. Mm. Meaning... You think of Acts 20, Paul preaching to the Ephesian elders, and he uses that language a couple of times. I did not shrink back. I did not shrink back. Uh, and he knew he was going to suffer when he went to Jerusalem, and he did not shrink back. So the peculiar temptation for pastors is when we suffer, we shrink back. Not only from the truth, I think we, we understand that temptation. I'm not going to speak the truth anymore. 
but just as dangerous, we shrink back from people. Mm-hmm. And, and one of those, Paul in 2 Corinthians, his language there to the Corinthians, who are ticked at him, he's fickle, they don't like him, they're mad at him. And he said, my heart is wide open to you. Mm-hmm. I've had to be reminded of that many times. And the Lord's used that to minister because I just realized, we all do as pastors, I poured into this person, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like they betrayed me or I feel like they've forgotten. I led them to the Lord. I, married, I buried their mother. I was there in the middle of the night when their marriage was falling apart. And now two years later, because you don't like the new song we sang in church, uh, you're ready to throw me at what? Mm. Uh, and our hearts get, get closed to those people. And I've certainly known that. And I've had to pray with specific people. Lord, I'm going to see the person. Don't let me close. Maybe their heart's close, close to me, mm. but let's let my heart be open. So that's a peculiar temptation when when we suffer as pastors. One of the things I've just I'm sure I don't live by it as well as I'd like, but one of my little adages is uh, it's better to be when it comes to our relationships with people. I think it's better to be a little naive than a lot bit cynical, mm. meaning. It would be better to get to heaven and realize, wow, that person was didn't like me this whole time and they were undermining me and and than it is to get to heaven and realize I was so suspicious mm-hmm. of that person. Of course, why is a serpent innocent as doves? But I think over time, you get this hard sort of exterior, you've got your knocks and you can get cynical toward people and we need to... Uh, allow ourselves that's the hard part if you really are open to people you're open to being hurt by people Mm -hmm. and that's that's part of what pastoral ministry is yeah so suffering leads to a tendency to want to withdraw that's right but don't withdraw if you're going to stay busy stay busy as we began stay busy in relationships especially the ones that are closest to you build your circle out from there right and then if you're not backed out of those relationships, then your busyness is a productive busyness might be a way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, right. Because I could be burned out, right? Well, I'm just going to preach on Sunday. I'm going to deliver him the word. I'm going to do my little hospital visits. I'll find ways to stay busy, but I've really given up the relational right. component of pastoral ministry at that point. Yeah. When, when, and we all go, it, it just takes a lot of discernment to know, is this a season? You have to understand yourself. I know mm. in my own rhythm that by this time of the year, or when we're doing this here in spring, I'm itching for some break in the summer. Sure. You get past Easter, school's still going. Uh, it's where you start to think, am I in the right profession? Mm. Uh, so that's, that's understandable. But hopefully you come back and there's a, a rejuvenation to it. When the alarm bells go off and we think, no, there, there's th- this up and down has not had any ups in a long time and that may mean that you just need a break it may mean that you need to attend to issues in your own heart Mm. and the the scary thing is if you do ministry long enough you know we we kind of know how to be religious professionals and right you know without a lot of work we can probably give a, a better bible lesson than almost anybody else in the church we can probably pray a prayer that sounds good. We know how to lead meetings. So we can go on autopilot for too long. 
and we need we need friends. I mean, this is something we haven't talked about a lot, but right. I had a good friend of mine say recently, he said, I've learned not to trust leaders who don't have friends. Hmm. And I thought that was really wise. And I know it's hard in the church, so you may not be able to have the same kind, but friends somewhere. Right. You know, if you don't really have a friend, and a friend is someone you let in, and someone who can who can speak the truth to you and know that the relationship is going to survive that right. speaking of the truth. Some of us don't have that. And I, and I think at some level it's as dangerous and as simple as that, that many, many ministers leave the ministry simply because it's been years since they've had a real friend. They're isolated. Yeah. That's just another thing that I think, okay, friendship, but even friendship, it takes time. It takes time, yeah. Or like if I'm, I feel myself getting burned out, I'm not really connecting... Well, it takes time to take a rest, or I really need to just take a walk right now and exercise. That takes time. So it's just going to be a matter of figuring out, not priorities, but how to balance all the things that are important and just not have a to-do list. Right. And there's a real element of faith. And I mean, of course, faith in Christ and faith in his word, but very tangibly, we have to believe that so I, I started exercising again like eight or nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And so most days I'll take an hour at some point. I'll, I'll get on the bike. I'll go on a run. I'll do some, sometimes just go on a walk. I'm absolutely convinced that taking that hour out of my day, I get more done than I would not taking that hour out of my day. Mm. The stress, the health, all of that. And it takes some faith to believe that if you really want to get a lot done, not just now, but a whole life, you have to have these these rhythms. So one, one of the things, I don't know where I heard it or if I made it up, but uh, I'll say to people and to myself, you can, you can borrow sleep, but you can't ultimately steal it. Mm-hmm. Meaning you can go, okay, pressure came on this week and I, I didn't get a lot. I had just got a few hours. I had to be up, you know, sick kid. And you sort of, you press it. You can borrow from sleep, but you can't ultimately steal it because your body will make you pay for it. At some point. At some point. It's come and due. It will. And it may be next week or it may be when you're 50, but you'll have to pay yeah. for it. And everybody has those weeks where like, oh, there was two funerals this week. I right. got a funeral. I'm sorry, a, a wedding coming up. So you manage it, right? Like you figure yourself through there, but with that awareness, it's like, all right, I'm going to have to create some space in the future to have some recovery time. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and to realize, I mean, one of the hard things, too, with the busyness is you know, Jesus tells a parable about the one talent, the two talent, the five talents. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that's money. It's not talent, but, it, but it's, it's representative for opportunities. And... Yeah, it's really hard for us to, to acknowledge. We all would like to think we're the five-talent guy. Of course. But, but we're two or we're three or, or we're one or somebody else has got a hundred. And we all compare. We have that, that tendency. I, I realized years ago, why, why, is it, why do moms so often get in the comparison game? Well, it's because a mom, everyone has your job. You know, sure. You, sure. It, it's like if everyone you met was a pastor, you all have my, we all have the same job. So moms are always comparing. Well, pastors do that too. It's just the whole world, you know, half of the world isn't a, a pastor. 
But we all do that as much as we want to be holy about it. We see that person and what they have going well or what they're doing. And we, and we just need to realize that we have different talents. We have different opportunities. I remember a, a, a pastor that I knew in, in Michigan and, you know, he said, Oh, with, uh, with some of my free time, I have volunteered to be a chaplain with the, you know, the local police department and I do ride arounds and sometimes I, and it's so great. And I, Sometimes I'm with them when they have to make hard calls and tell people somebody died. And I, I felt like I'm, hmm. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I, yeah, just by comparison, it's like, yeah. okay, yeah. It's that's... like, well, I, I don't do that. I don't even think I want to do, do that. But I'm, I'm really happy you're doing it. And I had to realize there's probably people that say, well, look at what Kevin does. Well, there's certain things God's wired me in certain ways. And anybody out there watching this needs to realize there's a, you know, there's dozens of things that I that I don't do and don't do as well as other people and we just have to we have to be honest with ourselves. Yeah, and just recognize that and then rejoice at someone else's gifts and how God has called them to use it. Yeah. And that's the joy piece again of just that's rejoicing right. with where somebody else is and that they can serve the church in that right, way. Right, right. All right, you conclude your book talking about Mary and Martha. Ah, yes. And you know, we all aspire to be Mary. Uh-huh. And we find a little too much Martha in our lives. So just reflecting on that, what would you say about Mary and Martha for yeah. pastors? I remember it was one of the first sermons I, I preached as an ordained pastor. It was in one of my first year or so. And uh, I was actually, ironically, I, was, I think I was coming back from a conference and I was really busy and I didn't have a lot of time to prepare this Mary and Martha sermon. That's very ironic. <laughs> <laughs> too busy to do this. But... I don't even know what I, I'm sure it was a dreadful sermon, but some longtime member of the church came to me later and he said, I realized I, I've been at the church my whole life. I wasn't a Christian. That he was converted in a Mary and Martha sermon. Wow. And it was amazing because it was not a good sermon. The Holy but it, Spirit. It was, you know, <laughs> it was one of the things I pray most Sundays is that the Holy Spirit would preach a better sermon than the one I'm about to preach. And and so he did that. And I think it it was just that piece, I think he came to grips with, have I really ever sat at the feet of Jesus? Mm-hmm. I've been around church. I've done church things. I've served in the church. If I really do have a hunger and a desire to sit at the feet of Jesus. Because I say in the book, there's a reason where that come, why that's there in Luke 10. So you have sending out the 70 or the 72, and it was a great mission trip. I saw Satan fall like lightning and casting out demons and preaching the gospel. Busy, busy, busy. You have the parable of the Good Samaritan. Of course, that can feel really crushing. Every All the needs out right. there that you have to do. I think in the Holy Spirit's wisdom, there's a reason that Luke puts at the end of chapter 10, mm. Mary and Martha, as if to say... You can be sent out by Jesus himself. You can cast out demons. You can heal the sick. You can preach. You can be the good Samaritan who crosses the road or crosses the world to care for the needs of other people. And if you don't sit at the feet of Jesus, Mm -hmm. you're not doing the one thing that's most necessary. I I think we have, we have, and especially maybe in some reform of our reform circles, I think we've made an impossible Christianity. We've, Mm -hmm. we've, because we know we can't justify ourselves, right? We've conceived of the Christian life 
as just moving from failure to failure. Mm. And in fact, the more of a failure you are, oh, praise God for... And I'm not talking about obviously earning anything with God, but just the the Christian life. Do we really believe that God can be pleased with us? Mm-hmm. We're never going to get past the crazy busy if if we think God is such a peevish, austere father who never is is pleased with us. Or that if we if we go on a long walk, that Jesus is going tick tick tick. You got a lot of ministry mm-hmm. to do. Uh, the well done good and faithful servant is that just for you know the the missionaries in the jungle somewhere or is that for every ordinary pastor ordinary christian mm. who serves god faithfully there are so many passages that talk about god being pleased with us and i think that pastors of all people mm. we can go through a lot of life and a lot of ministry yes we know we know intellectually grace we know justification we know all of that but day to day we don't live as if the Father is actually hmm. smiling upon us and pleased w- with us. And that, almost more than anything, leads to the kind of burnout and the kind of despondency yes. that so often creeps in. Do we delight in our communion with God? Yeah. And if we right. do, it will lead to a fruitful Christian life. And right. if God blesses our pastoral ministry, yeah. then, then he does. And if he doesn't bless it in particular ways, he doesn't. Yeah. But are we communing with Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. Kevin, thank you so much for your thoughts on this. We so appreciate the time that you've given. Lots to reflect on from what you've shared well, today. thank you. Thanks. Great questions and uh, love pastors and anything to serve them and encourage them. So hopefully this did, did that in some small way.